think it was Pastor Ray, or it might have been Wendy actually, that mentioned the film One Life to us a while ago. And so last Sunday night we thought, oh, there's no gathering, we've just come back, we've been on a road trip in our camper van and thought, um, oh, we can go to the movies. Um, so we went to the movies, and now that we're gold card carrying members, you know, going to the movies is quite a cheap alternative, so that was good. So we went to see One Life. And it's a true story of Sir Nicholas, or Nicky Winton, who was a London broker, a stockbroker, and in the months leading up to World War II, he and his team rescued 669 predominantly Jewish children from the Nazis. It's a true story. Nicky visited Prague in December 1938, and he found families who were in desperate need. Um, as the rise of the Nazis in Germany and Austria, people were, were living in desperate conditions, and there was little food and little shelter, and uh, they were under the threat of Nazi invasion. And he immediately realized that the race was on, and how many children could he and the team rescue before the borders closed? Fifty years later, in 1988, Nicky was haunted by the lives of the children that he wasn't able to safely bring back to England. And he was blaming himself, if only I could have done more. And it wasn't until a BBC television show called That's Life surprised him by introducing him to some of the surviving children who are now adults, that he finally began to come to terms with the guilt and the grief that he had carried for five decades. In the final credits of the film, they estimated that in 1988, there were over 6,600 living descendants from the 669 children who Nicky and his team of helpers had saved. The film's a powerful illustration of what can happen when one person does something that makes a difference, not only for their generation, but also for the generations that followed them. And I really wanted to explore that theme together this morning. Over the holidays, I listened to a podcast about the next decade, and the commentator was saying that the last decade, the last 10 years, he described as being a decade of anxiety. And I think you'd agree, there's been lots of anxiety, hasn't there, in society around us. And he was saying the next decade is a decade of anger. And I thought, you know, we see something of that in our societies already as we see increased violence in our schools. If you're a school teacher, you've probably heard the stories of how it's much harder in the classroom than it used to be. Or violence amongst young people. You might remember in 2023, um, the ram raids that happened in our nation. Or perhaps um, an increase in domestic violence. Or on our airlines. I saw um, highlights, I don't know whether you saw it, in the news about airline um, stewards facing more uh, hostility than they've ever faced before. Or even in our supermarkets, there's increased hostility and anger. People are feeling frustrated and needing to experience the Christian message of peace on earth. So I thought to myself, where in the Bible can we go to see someone in the Bible who models for us what does it look like to live peace on earth in the midst of an environment of anger? This person is an unsung hero, I think, in the Old Testament. You won't find his name listed in the Heroes of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And the person that I'm talking about is the person of Job. So if you're counting his name, I've mentioned it twice, haven't I? In fact, I could mention Job, Job, Job another three times, and you could add that to your list. Job lived, um, is introduced as living in the land of, of Uz, a location which still remains uncertain. 
He's described a man who was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Job had a large household, seven sons and three daughters. That's a large household, isn't it? 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen and many servants. We're told that Job was the richest person in that entire area. And Job not only prayed for himself, but he also prayed for his family in case they had angered God in any way. God himself said that Job was the finest man in all the earth, a man of complete integrity. He knew that he was he knew that what it was to live in peace with God and with his fellow human beings. And Satan comes before God and said that Job was only at peace because of God's protection and prosperity. Satan said to God, look how rich he is. Take away his riches and see how angry he is. God said to Satan, you can test him, but, it, but whatever you want to do with him, whatever he possesses, but you can't harm him physically. Next we read that a messenger arrived at Job's home and says that all Job's animals have been stolen and his farmhands killed. Who knows that's got to be a bad day, right? But while the first messenger is still speaking, a second messenger arrives. And we read in Job chapter 1 verse 16, if you want to follow along, and I'm reading from the NLT Bible. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up all your sheep and your shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. But wait, there's more. While the second messenger is still speaking, a third messenger arrives with this news. Job chapter 1 verse 17. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen all your camels and killed all your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And you've got it. While the third messenger is speaking, guess what? A fourth messenger arrives. You've got it. And he says in Job chapter 1, verses 18 to 19, and this is probably the most tragic of it all, your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Now if it was a bad day before, it's got to be a really bad day now, right? Listen to Job's response in Job chapter 1 verses 20 to 22. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and he fell to the ground in worship and he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. If that's not enough, in chapter 2, Job faces a second test. I'm reading from Job chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Then the Lord asked Satan, Sorry, then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. He has maintained his integrity, even though you urged me to harm him without cause. Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. But reach out and take away his health, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence. He struck Job and t with terrible boils from head to foot. It's hard, isn't it, to watch those that you love suffer? 
And we read in Job chapter 2 and verse 10, Job scraped his sin with pieces of broken pottery. Oh, I can just feel that. Reminds me of my mum used to weed um, the wood, the concrete path with a, um, a push hoe, that sound of a push hoe, or fingernails on a chalkboard. Can you imagine that? It sends shivers down your spine. His wife said to him, you're still trying to maintain your integrity. Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hands of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. And then three of his Job's friends come to visit. Not very encouraging friends. And uh, they come to share in his anguish in Job chapter 2, verses 11 to 13. When Job's three friends heard about the tragedy he had suffered, they got together and traveled from their homes to comfort and console him. Their names were Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bidad, the Shuttite, and Zohar, the Namanite. And they saw Job from a distance. They scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and threw dust into the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. I want to leave you just with five thoughts this morning about what can we learn from Job's life about finding peace in the midst of an angry world. The first thought this morning is you can be angry without sin. Job was brutally honest in the verses that follow. He wished that he had never been born. Such was his pain and anguish. His friends who had initially come to comfort him now become his accusers because what Job is experiencing questions their own understanding of God. Job's friends believe that God protected them because of their righteousness. So there must be something that Job had done wrong to make God angry. And if that's not true, and Job really was as righteous as God says he was, what did that mean for their futures? Could they possibly suffer as Job was suffering? And so Job's friends said to him in verse five, uh, chapter 5 and verse 17, but consider the joy of those corrected by God. In other words, Job, you know, make the best of this. Kind of thank God for this pain and suffering that you're going through. Do not despise the discipline when God Almighty is, sorry, do not despise the discipline of the Almighty when you sin. So the first thought is that we can be angry without sin. You know, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And I know for Jillian and I, in times of suffering and loss in our lives, it's okay to be honest with God about that and, and to really kind of cry out in our grief and our loss and our anger. The second thought this morning, and it relates to that, is that we should be honest about what we're experiencing. Job says in chapter 6 and verses 12 to 13, Do I have a, the strength of a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I am utterly helpless without any chance of success. Other people will experience times of loss and disappointment and their honesty and their vulnerability can strengthen us just as we can be a strength to others. I listened to an interview this week um, and it was an interview with Joy Cowley, the children's author. She's an amazing Christian lady. She's 86 years old now and her eyesight is failing. And she said throughout her life, as she looked over those 86 years, she said, there have been times of death that have always led to times of resurrection. And that what was resurrected was always greater than what was lost. 
Maybe you can identify with Joy Cowley's observation in your own circumstances. In those times of death, those times of loss, those times of suffering, can we believe that there'll be an even greater resurrection? The third thought I wanted to leave you with this morning is that life is not always just and fair. Job's friends suggested that God is always just, unaware that Satan, the accuser, had appeared before the throne of God as Job's accuser. The kingdom of God does not have absolute reign on the earth while Satan, the accuser, is here to kill, to rob, to steal and destroy. That was even more of a reality in the Old Testament than it is for us in the New Testament as people of God who are filled with the Holy Spirit because Jesus has established his kingdom with his birth and his death and his resurrection. That kingdom is not yet here in all of its fullness. You and I are the ones who are to bring something more of God's kingdom from heaven to earth. So that through our lives, our thoughts, our, motiva- our motivations, our actions, something of God's kingdom might be established. The fourth thought I want to leave you with this morning is that Job was able to stand without fear before God. Job's friend's anger was fueled by fear. If God's allowing this to happen to Job, who is righteous, it could happen to us as well. Even though Job could not understand why God had allowed the circumstances he found himself in, Job had confidence and certainty that the character and nature of God was greater than the circumstances he was facing. Listen to his words from Job chapter 19, verses 25 to 27. Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end I will stand, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes and not another. Now my heart yearns within me. And the last thought I want to leave you with this morning is that God will redeem the sacrifices that have been made, but the sacrifices are still costly. Reading from Job chapter 42, verses 12 to 17. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. So this is another seven sons and three daughters. The first daughter was named Jemiah, the second Kezia, and the third Kieran Kupak. Nowhere in all the land was there found woman as beautiful as Job's daughter, and their father granted them an inheritance amongst all their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so he died, old and full of years. Job suffered tremendous loss and suffering in his lifetime that would never be forgotten. But when Job saw the resurrection of his family and the generations that followed, he understood the power of sacrifice. He understood something of what... um, Joy Cowley was talking about that the resurrection was greater than what the death had been. I began this morning by talking about the film One Life and how Nicky Winton didn't believe that his efforts and those of his team were enough in 1938 when they rescued the 669 children until 50 years later in 1988 when they learned that there were now in excess of 6,600 descendants. Those lives will be changed, whose lives will be changed 
because you and I choose to make a difference in people's lives this year through our thoughts and our actions as we share something of God's story and our story with the people in our world.